This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. In the winter of 2015, an Australian tax specialist sent a series of emails to their colleagues at accounting firm PricewaterhouseCoopers, writing, for your eyes only. Inside were government secrets, which would later be used to help their clients around the world, making PwC millions of dollars. As Henry Bello reports, these emails have sparked a global scandal and exposed problems with the growing practice of trusting private consulting companies with government work. My first thought was really just how shocking this is. It's a story about broken trust that spans across international borders. It's also a story about ethical and potential legal failures. This is about how a very large company helped undermine the impact of Australia's tax system, which is very much in the public interest. Today, how a shadow public service leaked Australian government secrets. It's Monday, the 22nd of May. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Henry, tell me about PwC. What is it and what does it do for the Australian government? So PwC is one of the so-called big four consultancy firms that the federal government really relies on. In fact, it's got so bad that there's kind of like this open secret and this term that's talked about in Canberra. Sometimes you hear it where the consultancy firms call the federal government the dairy because they can milk them for all that they're worth. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is kind of revealing about the attitudes that consultancy firms have. Now, what's happened in the public service over the past two decades is its capability and its skills have really been hollowed out. Yes, there's still a lot of specialty there. There are still some very, very good people there. But the bureaucracy as a whole has become increasingly reliant on these consultants. They're engaged by the government to do the work that the public servants themselves would have done many years ago. And if we look at just one year in the Morrison government, there was a recent audit that found they spent about $5 billion on consultants themselves. So it's a huge amount of money that we're dealing with here. And this is really where the crux of the problem is. At the same time as these consultants are advising government, different divisions within those same firms are charging businesses for advice on how to deal with the government. So that's what's happened here at PwC. There's been a real collision of conflicts of interests. 
So, Henry, this all started with a series of emails. Tell me about them. Yeah, they're extraordinary emails because they reveal just how brazen this was. It's centred really on the company's former head of international tax, Peter Collins. He'd been asked by the Australian government to provide advice to them on the formation of new multinational tax avoidance laws. So this was all about stopping huge companies that operate internationally from taking profits from Australia and shifting them all around the world, which of course limits the amount of money that the government has to invest in key services. So Collins, by nature of his access to this information, he had inside knowledge about what the government was planning to do. He knew that this was very valuable. He shared it with some of his colleagues who then went on to use it to help their clients internationally and also to make money from it. Right, so how did that conflict of interest play out with PwC? What did Peter's colleagues do with the information that he provided? Well, one of the first things that we can see in this email chain is some people at least acknowledge that there's a potential problem here. They say, well, that information looks like it's been given to you confidentially. Please don't share it any wider than this email. But there certainly wasn't, uh, let's shut this down, let's not talk about this. In Mm. in fact, it was the opposite. What they did was they formed a working group to consider how this information could be commercialised, how they could try and uh, develop new clients over this, so to help them adapt to these new laws once they're introduced. The multinational anti-avoidance law deals with the activities of 30 identified multinational companies. So when the then treasurer at the time, Joe Hockey, stood up on budget night and announced what was going to happen, that he had this new idea to crack down on multinational tax avoidance. These companies are diverting profits earned in Australia away from Australia to no tax or low tax jurisdictions. Obviously, they have not been paying their fair share of tax in Australia. In fact, they've been paying no tax. PwC executives, within hours, really, we've come to learn, were were contacting big companies in the United States, in the tech industry, and saying to them, we've got a solution here for you. We can help you reduce your exposure to these new taxation laws and limit the impact that this would have on your business. And so by the time those laws were actually introduced in January 2016, PwC senior executives were congratulating each other about how they'd been able to use the information that Collins gave them to generate new contracts in the US, to um, have some brand-defining clients. And we know that at that very early stage, they'd already made about $2.5 million from this information. And we don't know how much money they've made since then. This was all behind closed doors, Henry. When and how did this come to light? Well, it's been a really long process for this to come to light because we remember those first emails about For Your Eyes Only were sent in 2015. So, you know, we're coming about eight years ago. But I guess where it started was, was the tax office were surprised. They knew something was wrong because... PwC had actually been so good at their job. So Mm. when the government introduces changes to its tax laws, it expects that companies will 
slowly adapt to it. They'll find ways to work out and and change their business operations. But the ATO had observed that very quickly, almost immediately, these huge companies had already acted. And then what they were able to get were these emails between Peter Collins and some other partners in the firm. And eventually, they were passed on to the Tax Practitioners Board. It's a relatively small and unknown sort of watchdog for tax specialists in Mm. Australia. They started a formal investigation into Collins in 2021. They broadened that to PwC. And we found out in January that Collins had been deregistered as a tax agent because of this breach of confidentiality. And that really infuriated the government. And we heard from the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, talking about just that. Absolutely furious, absolutely ropeable uh, about these revelations. You know, this is a shocking breach of trust, an appalling breach of trust. And, you know, as a government that wants to be consultative where we can, you know, this puts that sort of consultation at risk. And so it puts the quality of economic decision making and policy making at risk as well. What did PwC have to say when this information came to light? It's pretty damning. So what the company initially said was that everybody who was involved in this scandal had already left PwC and what they employed was essentially the bad apples argument. Yes, things didn't happen as they should. We have made changes, though. We've improved our processes and they really tried to move on. The problem was that Labor senators had been pushing at the same time for more information about what was going on and they wanted those emails that proved just exactly how PwC was trying to use this information for commercial gain. So not long after these emails were released, Clearly, the level of scandal had increased and PwC Australia's chief executive, Tom Seymour, he resigned from his position. This is the compiled 144 pages of the email trail that reveals it was not only Mr Collins, but the the CEO who resigned yesterday evening, Mr Tom Seymour. And that led to some really intense condemnation from the senator who was instrumental in getting those emails, Labor Senator Deborah O'Neill. Who was involved with the deception of the Australian parliament, the Australian people, and a betrayal of the ethical and professional standards that they should be upholding. This is a major cancer on the way that information that is vital to the national interest is being uh, undertaken by those at PwC. In coming days, there were two other resignations from senior executives. But the important thing is here that they're still partners within the company. They didn't resign from the company itself. So they're still there and they're still drawing a wage. The replacement of the chief executive, Kristen Stubbins, well, she's been trying to wrestle back control of this scandal, saying, we're committed to learning. We acknowledge that we've let the government down. We acknowledge that we've let the Australian taxpayers down. And we want to build a stronger culture of trust and transparency. But the problem is that that's not really going to work when many of the people that knew about this are still actually employed by the company. And then there are likely many more people who knew about this and we don't know who they are. They could still be in positions and we don't know what they did with that information. And that's why this is really only the start of the story and why senators are determined to find out exactly what went on. Right. It takes a lot to fix 
a rotten culture, if there is one within PwC, what further consequences are we likely to see in the coming weeks and months? Well, there could be more resignations. There could be sackings. What happens next really depends on the result of many separate inquiries that are now underway. So we have Senate estimates hearings kicking off this week. So that'll be asking tax officials for more information about what happened. Separate to that, we've got a broader inquiry about the role of consultants in government. That might also bring some more evidence out of this because PwC could be called to uh, appear before that inquiry. Mm. And then we have PwC, which has launched its own internal investigation into this. There's some criticism of how independent that actually is because the report itself won't be released for the public to see. They say a summary of the recommendations might be released. With trust in PwC at an all-time low, you'd think they would have figured out that such an inquiry is not to be trusted when it is self-appointed. And then there are calls for even further inquiries. One of them from the Greens is for the new National Anti-Corruption Commission to take a look at this. And then there's potentially the really big one, which could be a potential criminal investigation. We know that the Treasury Department is considering whether that should happen. Mm -hmm. Outside of PwC, what kind of consequences could this have for the government and the way it works? Well, I think the clearest thing is that business as usual between the government and PwC just can't happen the way it did. Something fundamental has to change and government senators are admitting that. And look, that might seem really obvious, but it actually has real consequences for how the government itself functions. So just a broader rethink about the public service, right? At the moment, consultants are effectively a shadow public service. They're entrusted with so much responsibility. Now there's probably a broader discussion about, well, should that responsibility now come back to the Australian public service rather than people who are employed for commercial gain? Next, is this the beginning of the end of the shadow public service? Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here. This month marks Guardian Australia's 10th anniversary, so we're putting on a special public event to celebrate. If you live in Sydney, come join us on Thursday the 25th of May to hear directly from Guardian Australia editors and journalists as they unpick the biggest moments of the past 10 years and let you in on what we have in store for the future. Tickets are selling fast, so search Guardian Birthday and Seymour Centre on Google or find us on the Seymour Centre website. You can also watch the live stream of the event at Guardian Australia's YouTube page. See you there. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So Henry, before the break, we spoke about how consultants are doing more and more what would be considered core government work, so much so they're being called a shadow public service by some. Why is that? Why do we have this system? There's many reasons how we've got into this position and they've been developing for a long time. This hasn't just happened overnight. So one of the first things is that the knowledge and the capability of the public service has fundamentally changed. I think that's not in dispute. It's still very effective. It's still a specialist workforce, but a lot of its work has been outsourced. And the more that that happens, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? The more that this work is outsourced to consultants, the less that public servants are exposed to it and don't know how to do it. That makes it more likely for departments to keep doing that. And that's a point that's been made by the former Public Service Commissioner, Andrew Podger. Public service then doesn't invest in its core activities as much if governments and they become over-reliant on consultants. There have been serious erosions of capability of the public service over the, the last two decades then there's staffing pressure. So we've had coalition governments that have wanted to slash the size of the public service for many years, thinking it should be much lower. They've introduced staffing caps, which have been a real key in this because the government's departments have been required to do more things, but they haven't been able to hire more staff. So a way of getting around that is to employ consultants. So that increases the amount of people working for the government but it doesn't breach that staff cap. Mm. And then there's a slightly more tenuous, uh, I guess, debated um, concept here about risk and about the culture of the public service and about whether public service are willing to give the government frank and fearless advice. And some governments, MPs and, and ministers thinking, well, if we can outsource that critical report to somebody outside government, then if they say something that might be controversial, then we can say, well, you know, it's independent. That didn't come from us. It didn't come from the department. It's come from somebody separate, if, mm. if that makes sense. So all this has combined to create this over-reliance on not just PwC but a big cohort of consultants. Is it possible that government information is being broadly misused by these private companies? Well, that's the great fear and it's also really the great unknown. These consultancy companies, they're not subject to FOI laws. They rarely appear before parliamentary inquiries as well. So the short answer is it could happen. There was always a risk of this sort of thing happening. That's why governments design things like confidentiality agreements or disclosures for conflicts of interest. The problem that we've seen here with PwC is those don't always work. And when they don't work, the consequences, as we're finding out, are, are really quite big. We don't really know whether this has happened at a similar scale in other departments or with other consultancy firms, and that's why so many people in Canberra are really worried about this. Right, a confidentiality agreement is only as good as the person that signs it, essentially. And also, 
it's really only as good as the punishments that are available to stop people doing it in the future. That's been a key concern in this, and that's the real debate in government at the moment. They're furious about this, right? But there's a real discussion in Canberra, well, how do we respond to this properly in a way that stops it not happening again? Could it be a corruption inquiry? Could it be a potential criminal inquiry? Or could we just say, no, I think we won't be doing business with you for a while, PwC. But it's going to be really difficult because if they were to just stop overnight, you've got to think there's half a billion dollars worth of contracts. Who's going to do them? PwC is is a global company. It works all around the world. Is it possible that this is just the first domino, the Australian government and their relationship in a long chain of reactions here? It could be, and that's what PwC are really worried about here because you're right, they're not just an Australian company. They have huge business with governments all around the world and this has the potential to be an international scandal. So it's not just about the Australian government here. This information could potentially have been used in many other countries and that's the whole thing about this. We don't know because it's so hard to get a look into these companies. And that's what people want to know, what's really going on. That was Henry Bellow, a reporter for Guardian Australia. This is a rapidly evolving story with several government bodies appearing before Senate estimates to answer questions about PwC this week. Do follow along at theguardian.com. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria and myself, sound design by Daniel Simo. Miles Matnioni is the executive producer of this episode. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you tomorrow. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The EY Tech Connect podcast brings you candid conversations about the most pressing priorities facing tech, media and entertainment, and telecommunications companies, and provides strategic insights on the key issues that matter to them, including topics such as the top 10 opportunities in tech, the next generation of gaming, the future of connectivity and content, and the latest talent strategies. The EY Tech Connect podcast is out now. Download today from wherever you get your podcasts.